Good morning, everybody. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3, we'll, uh, we'll be there for most of the sermon. Um, so, one thing that I have to correct onto what uh, Jen mentioned, I, I'm sorry, it was my fault. I said something to her that was misinterpreted. Actually, you can't go back and view the previous day's um, prayer videos for the 30 days of prayer and fasting on Facebook Live uh, for Grace Timonium. Um, you can, however, each day they keep that video up all day long. Um, so the good news is that if you, if you don't want to, you know, get up for the thing at, at 8 o'clock or can't make 8 o'clock work because of work or, or whatever, you can go back at lunchtime or in the evening, or you could actually even wake up really early the next day and still get it because I don't think they, they cut it off until the, the new one starts at 8 o'clock the next morning. Um, but just to let you know, unfortunately, you're not able to actually go back and view previous ones. However, the ones that I do, um, the ones that we do at New Hope, um, actually, I will post on our YouTube channel. So actually, you would be able to go back and, and view those at any time. So that's um, just a little bit of clarity there. But again, my fault, not Jen's fault. Um, so good morning again. <clears throat> we'll be in 1 Kings <clears throat> chapter 3. Um, we're starting a new series today, starting a new series called Kingdom Promise. <clears throat> and I want to spoil the ending for you right off the bat. Jesus Christ who is Israel's Messiah, is placed on the eternal throne. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Jesus lived a sinless life here on earth and died a sinner's death at the hands of humanity in order to usher in his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. After ascending to the right hand of the Father, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to empower the church to continue his work of spreading the good news of God's reconciling work, the reconciling work of God's kingdom. The church is then called to live out the freedom of life under the rule and reign of the eternal King Jesus rather than placing its hope in fallible kings, in fallible kingdoms. So that's some weighty, weighty language like right off, the, right off the bat there at the beginning of the sermon. But I just wanted to let you know that I had thought this stuff out. So this series, Kingdom Promise, it's essentially a, um, a pre... Sorry, I got like an apple in my mouth there. Sorry. Uh, it's essentially a pre-Advent series. I don't think that I have ever seen so much eagerness for a year to be over than we have in 2020. I am sure you have heard the jokes from people who'd who'd rather not move the clocks forward an hour on November 1st because humanity, or back an hour, because the humanity can't take one more hour of 2020. So hopefully you won't judge me for wanting to start our discussions of Advent just a little bit sooner than we normally do. No, we are not going to start singing Christmas carols any earlier than we do, normally do. And the sanctuary won't be decorated for Christmas anytime soon. But the, the point of this pre-Advent series is to intentionally think about how we need a better king on the throne. If you've watched five minutes of any of the, the political debates or the town halls from, from any of the candidates in the current election, I, I, if you're like me, you think to yourself, is, is this the best we can do? I mean, go on our website and you'll see a very eloquent, well-written document, well-written well, well statement from our pastor emeritus, Jason Poling, 
regarding politics. It says that thoughtful Christians of good faith and good will can and do disagree on political matters. At New Hope, a broad range of political views are held, and we try to cultivate an environment at our church where people can engage with one another with respect and generosity, as well as passion and conviction. New Hope does not take political uh, positions on political candidates or ballot initiatives or pending legis legislation. We believe that our right to speak on issues of public policy, which at times we feel to be our responsibility, must be exercised with a view to the limits of the church's proper voice with respect to the other elements of our society. The reason why that's the case is because our hope is not in the political process. It is in Jesus Christ. As citizens who are a part of this country, it's, it's our place, it's our responsibility to engage in the political process, but it's not the church's responsibility to run the country. Our assignment as the church is to, 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 to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples, to worshipfully love God, and to sacrificially love others, all with both eyes on the world's one true king. Here's the point of the current series, this Kingdom Promise series, is that as Christians, we are to act not according to the kingdom in front of us, but according to the kingdom promised to us. This week, the National Association of Evangelicals, in cooperation with its relief arm at World Relief, put out a statement that reminding us that as evangelical Christians, we are called by God to love God and to love our neighbor. As citizens who follow this call, we must engage with humility, civility, intellectual rigor, and honesty in the complex and contentious issues that face our nation. So, as a non-denominational church, New Hope is institutionally independent. But we pay our dues to the NAE because we look to them as the connective tissue of non-denominational churches. They are an organization that helps the church stay one. We also support them uh, financially support them because we financially support World Relief, which is the relief arm of the National Association of Evangelicals that is currently doing remarkable work domestically and internationally to stand for the vulnerable and to speak for the oppressed. The statement that was issued calls for Christians to repent of the ways in which we have failed to live out our call to justice and mercy. It also calls us to renew our dedication to civic responsibility and a resolution that calls the church to confront the most contentious issues of our day with dignity and compassion to those who need it most. This should not have been a necessary statement to make, but there you have it. The call of the Christian life is to seek first the kingdom of God to live a life in such a way as if King Jesus is on the throne, because He is. It is my belief that once Jesus is firmly on the throne of your life, then you'll be truly free to express natural, uh, national patriotism through, through civic engagement. Romans 13 tells us that we are to be subject to governing authorities. It is not the President or the Congress or the Supreme Court. It's we, the people. As it says in our Declaration of Independence, governments are instituted all about you. He was also told that, that he wouldn't be the one to build the temple. That honor would actually be given to another. 
And it's him that we read about in 1 Kings. Solomon takes the throne, and in chapter 3, we're told that, that, that he makes a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, to the extent that international cooperation helped to keep the peace, marital alliances have played their part throughout history. The assumption is that a, that a foreign king is less likely to attack the kingdom where his family lives. But of course, we know that there's far more going on here than just ancient political politics, uh, ancient, just ancient politics. King Solomon, the, the king of Israel, was now the son-in-law to Pharaoh. The author of 1 Kings, which some believe uh, was actually the prophet Jeremiah, we don't know that for sure, um, the author of 1 Kings doesn't mention the specific Egyptian monarch. He just says Pharaoh, which of course makes the reader think of the character figure Pharaoh from the Exodus narrative, who had enslaved the people of Israel before God led them to, live, to deliverance through the efforts of, of Moses and, and, and others. Israel had been told not to intermarry with foreign nations, that's Deuteronomy 7.3, and they had also been told not to return to Egypt, Deuteronomy 17.6. So, if that's hard for your 21st century ears to hear, it should be. Ultimately, under King Jesus, Paul says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, Paul says, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise. That's the kingdom promise that we're looking towards. But here, the problem with Solomon's marital alliance and the return to Israel is because Israel was supposed to have been rooted in the identity, their identity as God's chosen people. Remember, Israel wasn't ever supposed to have a king in the first place. They weren't supposed to have Saul or David or Solomon on the throne because God had always wanted to be their king. The people cried to God and said, no, no, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations around us. And God said, you're not supposed to be like the other nations of the world. You're, you're supposed to be my people. I'm your king. But they insist. And God gives them what they want. He gives him a king, not because he's a weak God, but because sometimes he allows people to play the long game. Each of us see this every day, right? Our God is a father who gives us his wisdom, he gives us his law, and then he allows us to make mistakes and then redeems them in time as he calls his people to repent, to turn back, return to him. That's the biblical story, by the way. We see it over and over and over again from Genesis to Revelation. So, 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the, the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places in, uh, however, because no house or the temple hadn't yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon allowed people to sacrifice on the high places because the temple hadn't built yet. 
in the ancient world, specifically in the pagan culture, um, height implied closeness to the divine. The, the worship described here isn't necessarily pagan worship, at least not yet, but Solomon, it's, it's like he's flying pretty close to the fire. First uh, Kings uh, chapter 3, I'm sorry, uh, picking up in verse 3. Um, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of, his, of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Um, and the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. For that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand birth offerings on that, author, that, on that altar. That would have been quite a chore. At, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared uh, to Solomon in a dream by night. And God says to Solomon, Ask what I shall give you. Ask what I shall give you. Pretty incredible thing to be said by God, even to the king of Israel. What do you think? If you were in Solomon's shoes, newly risen to the throne, already flirting a bit with a tendency to drift away from the path, what would you ask for? Or put that aside for a moment. If God came to you and said, what do you want? What do you seek? What would you have the Lord of the universe give to you? What do you want from God? Maybe you're a dad. Maybe you're a mom. Maybe you're a boss. Maybe you're a coach. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a citizen submitting to a government that has been instituted by the people and for the people. Maybe you're a Christian, a part of a church that has said that we want to be for our community. What do you want from God? Power? Power to make people listen to you? Control to remake the world in your image? Fame or fortune to influence the masses? What do you want from God, young man, is what he says to Solomon. Anakin Skywalker was asked a similar question, and we saw how his choices turned out. If you were Solomon and you were given the task to rule over the people of Israel, what would you ask for? Here's what Solomon said. You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. He did that some. He also had some bad days. But, and you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am a, but a little child, I do not know how to go in or, or go out or come in. I don't know whether I'm coming or going. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. And here's the thing. Here's what, this is what Solomon asked for. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind, a listening mind, to govern your people that I might discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? That's a remarkable speech from Solomon. He asked, he asked for wisdom. He, he asked for an understanding mind. 
Or more literally, commentators tell us that the Hebrew should actually be rendered a listening mind. He asks for the ability, not, not just to hear so that he could get and, and you know, hear the, and, and be able to, to jab back at his detractors. No, he, he asks for the ability to listen. This request is made in a posture of humility. I'm just a kid, Solomon says. I don't know if I'm coming or going, and I've been given this awesome gift of responsibility to lead your great people. Your people, God. Give me an understanding mind to govern this, your people, that I might discern between good and evil. That's an interesting point, right? An interesting detail to be included, that he might discern between good and evil. Isn't that how we got in this mess in the first place? Adam and Eve chose to go on their own and rebelled against God's plan, eating from the, the, tree, the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That ship has already sailed. And the question now is one of sovereignty. Who is your real king? Solomon asks for who is able to govern this your great people. That's the key, right? Israel never really was Solomon or David's for that matter. This always was. Israel always was God's people. The responsibilities that that we have been given have been given to us by God for such a time as this, but we cannot ever lose sight of the fact that this always was His story. We are stewards of the influence that we have been given. We are stewards of the influence in our families and our work environments and our classrooms and our churches and even on the national political stage as citizens. We are stewards of our influence, but we can never lose sight of this always was God's show, not ours. Like, uh, so like Solomon, we don't ask for power or control or fame or fortune. We ask for the ability to listen in order to know the difference between right and wrong. I'm teaching my son uh, history right now. Um, and, and I've told him that one of the most disastrous things that you can do while studying history is to separate good guys from bad guys. Because humanity doesn't work that way. I love how N.T. Wright said it. He says that the world has not separated good guys from bad guys. No, the line that separates good from evil runs right down the middle of each and every human being. The world is more complicated than your political rhetoric is making it. I think that we would do well to put down the rhetoric and pick up humility. A humility that sees the person on the other side of the aisle, the person who thinks differently than you, the person who comes from a different culture than you, sees them as a child created in the image of God and therefore has worth. It doesn't make them right. You can have a conversation. You can have the debate. We should do that. But it does make them human, just like you and me. Continuing in verse uh, 10, this is God's response to Solomon. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, because you have asked this and not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind 
so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked for, though, both riches and honor, so that other kings shall, um, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commands as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke. Behold, it was a dream. And then he came to Jerusalem, and he stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and he offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings. And then, I think this is one of the most incredible parts of this entire episode, and then he made a feast for his servants. He comes down and he makes a feast for his servants. About a thousand years later, after Solomon's rule had deteriorated and what was left of the kingdom of Israel was under the oppression of the Roman Empire, Jesus would come on the scene and tell Israel to seek first the kingdom of God. And then good things would be added to you. This episode with Solomon was probably one of Solomon's better moments. I, I love that he spoke with humility. I love that he called Israel a great people. I love that when Solomon wakes up, he goes back to Jerusalem, makes an offering of the Ark of the Covenant where he should have been in the first place, and then serves a pe his people a meal. God sees it as well and celebrates Solomon in that moment, even though God is fully aware that Solomon is not going to live up to his end of the bargain. His father didn't either. And he was a man after God's own heart. See, the reason why this series is a pre-Advent series is because we'll see that all of this is pointing towards better days. The promise is hope towards a kingdom that will not deteriorate. In Jesus, we will see God coming down, not as a conquering king, but, but as a child. Not as a great ruler, but as a suffering servant who intends to come down from the high place towards Jerusalem, offer his people a meal, and then confront the powers of sin and death in order to show them what true wisdom, true integrity and indeed true humility, sacrificial love, what that really looks like. As Jesus followers, that is, is what we are called to do. We're called to follow Him. Not, not just on church on Sunday, but, but every day of our lives. We're called to the life of humble, sacrificial service to others, especially if we're in a position of influence and leadership. God uses leaders in powerfully good ways. Don't get me wrong. But we are called to seek first the kingdom of God. For it is when we do that, that we'll find life's true riches. Family, community, friendship, communion. When we put God's kingdom first and follow his path instead of our own, he's going to lead us to the discovery that everything God has was already ours. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Let me pray for us. Lord, give, give me 
Give us an understanding mind, a listening mind. Help me to listen more. Help me to spend time listening. Give me moments of solitude. Help remind me that I need moments of solitude to just be with you, to listen first to you, to listen to your grace and your truth. Convict me, Lord. Help me hear the words that you would have me hear. And Lord, then help me to hear from others. Help me to love others by hearing them, by listening to them, by understanding their heart, by understanding that they're my family and my friends, helping, their, help, helping me understand that, that they're just human beings like I am, and we're all just trying to figure this out. Lord, lead me in a way of humility and integrity to, to go up to another person and, and truly understand their hearts, to truly understand what makes them tick, Lord, I can't do it without your strength. We can't do it without your strength. Your courage, your wisdom, your understanding, it all comes from you. Lord, be our Lord. Help us to walk in your ways. Help us to walk towards the path of life everlasting. Help us to seek first your kingdom. Help us to see that when we put your kingdom first, when we put your agenda first, when we put your path first, that will lead us to more than we ever could have imagined putting anything else on the throne. The promise of the kingdom is one of grace and peace and truth and joy. Lord, help us to live into that. Help us to be your people. Help us to be your people. In Christ's name, amen.